Not sure why, but I'm in better spirits today than I have been in a while. Maybe it's because I found an oasis where I can, you know, think about a strategy of how to find my way out of this desert. So, let's crack this baby open and see what chapter 3 holds. Then his son, Judas, called Maccabeus. Ooh, oh, that's where we get the name from. So this is the main protagonist, right? I hope so, because the last one died. At least the last one I thought died. Rose up in his stead. And all his brethren helped him. And so did all they that held with his father. And they fought with cheerfulness the battle of Israel. So he got his people great honor and put a breastplate as a giant and girt his warlike harness about him. And he made battles, protecting the host with his sword. It's kind of like they're describing a statue of him. <laughs> In his axe, he was like a lion, and like a lion's whelp roaring for his prey. Okay, that was a terrible roar. He pursued the wicked and sought them out, and burnt up those that vexed his people. Wherefore, the wicked shrunk for fear of him, and all the workers of iniquity were troubled because salvation prospered in his hand. Definitely more exciting than Matthias. Good on you, Judas. You're more interesting. He grieved also many kings and made Jacob glad with his axe. And his memorial is blessed forever. Moreover, he went through the cities of Judah, destroying ungodly out of them and turning away wrath from Israel so that he was renowned unto the utmost part of the earth, and he received unto him such as were ready to perish. Then Apollonius gathered the Gentiles together, and a great host out of Samaria to fight against Israel. I wonder if these Samarians are the Hebrew nationals that broke apart from Judah. If so, it's kind of sad that they've got another civil war between family here. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just people who moved into Samaria. Not really sure. Would be nice to know, though. Which thing, when Judas perceived, he went forth to meet him. So he smote him and slew him. Many also fell down slain, but the rest fled. Wherefore Judas took their spoils and Apollonius's sword also. And therewith he fought all his life long. Okay, I really got to wonder, if God was directing all this, would he have been okay with them taking the spoils of war? If I recall correctly, you dedicate any spoils to God or you destroy it. You're not allowed to profit from it, which kind of makes this an unholy war. I don't know, maybe I'm just jumping to conclusions. It doesn't really say what he did with all the spoils but it's kind of left a little too open. So I'm kind of feeling a little uneasy about this being righteous, at least, you know, righteous before God. Now, when Saron, a prince of the army of Syria, heard say, heard say that, hearsay, that Judas had gathered unto him a multitude and company of the faithful to go out with him to war. He said, I will get a name and honor in the kingdom, for I will go fight with Judas and them that are with him, who despise the king's commandment. So he made him ready to go up, and there went with him a mighty host of the ungodly to help him. 
and to be avenged of the children of Israel. And when he came near to the going up of Beth-haron, Judas went forth to meet him with a small company, who, when they saw the host coming to meet them, said unto Judas, How shall we be able, being so few, to fight against so great a multitude and strong, seeing we are ready to faint with fasting all this day? Bah! Gideon pulled it off. Numbers don't matter. And if you have faith in God to pull you through, you, you really don't got to worry about it. Seriously, though. I, I get the hesitation, but you don't need it. Unto whom Judas answered, It is not hard, or it is no hard matter, for many to be shut up in the hands of a few. And with the God of heaven, it is all one to deliver with a great multitude or a small company. For the victory of battle standeth not in the multitude of a host, but strength cometh from heaven. Well said! Yeah! Reminds me of Elisha, who asked God to reveal to his servant the whole army in heaven that Elisha was saying. And then he was like, dude, this is bagging us. Yeah, there you go. Good, Judas. Good. They come against us in much pride and in iniquity to destroy us and our wives and children and to spoil us. But we fight for ourselves, our lives. I'm sorry. We fight for our lives and our laws. Wherefore, the Lord himself will overthrow them before our face. And as for you... Be ye not afraid of them. Now, as soon as he had left off speaking, he leapt suddenly upon them. And so Saron and his host were overthrown before him. And they pursued them from the going down of Beth Haran unto the plain where they were slain about 800 men of them and a, res uh, and a residue fled into the land of the Philistines. They began the fear of, then began the fear of Judas and his brethren, and an exceeding great dread to fall upon the nations round about as round about them, insomuch as his fame came unto the king, and all nations talked of the battles of Judas. I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. I mean, the story does kind of open up with Alexander the Great, and maybe that should be foreshadowing of every action following. I mean, what Alexander did worked, and I guess what happened here and things, things that even today we see in the world makes a lot of sense when you put it in perspective that people aren't trained at all to really see how everything worked. But then again, I mean, his tactics worked, and they saw it work. Still, people miss so many good details, especially when we're talking about it from the perspective of how God commands this stuff. Like, not taking the spoils of war, because it goes directly against what God has commanded previously. Seeking confirmation that they're supposed to be engaging in this kind of war. I don't see any prayers save the one in the last chapter. Not saying they didn't, but the story is left a lot to the imagination. Bible is littered with wars and examples of how they were carried out, yet nothing in here really highlights the key points 
that would tell us God would sanction it. And if you're God's people, you kind of need to have a sanctioning. And yeah, I feel like you're kind of just doing whatever you see. Monkey see, monkey do, and not, not really what God wants. And now, when King Antiochus heard these things, he was full of indignation. Wherefore, he sent and gathered together all the forces of his realm, even a very strong army. He opened also his treasure and gave his soldiers pay for a year, commanding them to be ready whensoever he should need them. Nevertheless, when he saw that the money of his treasures failed and that the tributes in his country were small because of the distance, the dissension and the plague, which he had brought upon the land and taking away the laws, which had been of old time. Okay, so what they're saying is that God sent plague and dissension because they instituted the heathen laws. Okay, I think that's what's saying here. He feared that he should not be able to bear charges any longer nor to have such gifts, to give so liberally as he did before. For he had abounded above the kings that were before him. So, although this tactic that Alexander was using seems to be working just through sheer brute force, I'm still against it. I'm still against it, Judas. I mean... Regular people that don't know any better in hardship just to get get back at one person, you're targeting the wrong people. You know what, though? God, you do this, too. You're, you're kind of guilty of this. And maybe that's partially the reason I feel these people, people don't know any better. I mean, they're only following your damn example. I get it. Do as you say, not as you do. But that's exactly what we humans do when we have no direction. And they clearly don't. You, of all beings in the universe, should know that. Yet, in this story, you seem to have left them through their own devices. I mean, maybe it's because they've wronged you and you just didn't want to do anything. Maybe you were just waiting on them to call out to you. I don't know, but... This is what happens. This is what you leave us to. And they were getting pounded. And what were you doing? Nothing. Wherefore, being greatly perplexed in his mind, he determined to go into Persia, there to take the tributes of the countries and gather much money. So he left Lysias, a nobleman, and one of the blood royal to oversee the affairs of the king from the river Euphrates unto the borders of Egypt and to bring his son Antiochus until he came again. Moreover, he delivered to him half of his forces and the elephants and gave him charge of all things that he would have done, as also concerning them that dwelt in Judah and Jerusalem, to wit that he should send an army against them to destroy and root out the strength of Israel and the remnant of Jerusalem. Well, yeah, that's an appropriate response to the situation. I mean, they all got themselves in here, but war begets war begets war. 
Hate begets hate begets hate. I mean, I think you get it. And to take away their memorial from that place. And that he should place strangers in all their quarters and divide their land by lot. And the king took the half of the forces that remained and departed from Antioch, his royal city. The 147th year, so 147th year, and having passed the river Euphrates, he went through the high countries. Then Lysias chose Ptolemy, the son of Dorimenes, Nicanor, and Gorgias, mighty men of the king's friends. And with them he sent 40,000 footmen and 7,000 horsemen to go to the land of Judah and to destroy it, as the king had commanded. So they went forth with all of their power, and they pitched by Emmaus in the plain country. And the merchants of the country, hearing the fame of them, took silver and gold very much with servants, and came into the camp to buy the children of Israel for slaves. Slavery. We still have people doing that today. This is an atrocity. It doesn't matter where in the world in history you are, someone had the idea of slavery and they used it. And we never grew up. And you know what, God? You allowed it. Even gave rules for how it should work. Maybe you didn't agree with the idea, but you could have used your power to influence Israel when Moses was leading them. For, leading them. I mean, it's not like you didn't lay down other laws. By that point, Israel had already known what it was like to be oppressed. It really wouldn't have been that difficult. In fact, that probably been the easiest thing to pass through them. Yet, you stood by and did what? Lighten the load of a slave by putting rules in place to protect them from their masters? Not enough. Not enough. But I want to get through this chapter, so. So I'm not going to harp on that. A power also of Syria and the land of the Philistines joined themselves unto them. Now, when Judas and his brethren saw that miseries were multiplied and that the forces did encamp themselves in their borders, for they knew now or knew how the king had given commandment to destroy the people and utterly abolish them. They said one to another, let us restore the decayed fortune of our people and let us fight for our people and the sanctuary. Then was the congregation gathered together that they might be ready for battle and that they might pray and ask mercy and compassion. Oh, finally some prayer. We got some prayer. Now Jerusalem lay void as a wilderness. There was none of her children that went in or out. The sanctuary was also trodden down and aliens kept the stronghold. The heathen had their habitation in that place and joy was taken from Jacob. And the pipe with the harp ceased. Wherefore, the Israelites assembled themselves together and came to Maspah over against Jerusalem. For in Maspah was the place where they prayed 
aforetime in Israel. Then they fasted that day. Fasting! We got fasting! And put on sackcloth and cast ashes upon their heads and rent their clothes and laid open the book of the law wherein the heathen had sought to paint the likeness of their images. They brought also the priest's garments and the first fruits and the tithes and the Nazarites they stirred up who had accomplished their days. Now we're talking. People are actually starting to pay attention to how this is supposed to work, the, the, how the holy war rules work when God laid them down. Hopefully it keeps up. Maybe Maccabeus started reading and realized that there are some issues and started to teach. Maybe somebody did. But I'm liking this new angle. In the absence of direction from God, they had the testament and they, that gave them guidance. See? See? They cried. Or then cried they with a loud voice toward heaven, saying, What shall we do with these? And whither shall we carry them away? Yeah! Here we go! For your sanctuary is trodden down and profaned, and your priests are in heaviness and brought low. And lo, the heathen are assembled together against us to destroy us. What things they imagine against us, only you know. How shall we be able to stand against them, except you, O God, be our help? Then sounded they with the trumpets and cried with a loud voice, Thank you! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you! It's starting to come together. It's starting to shape up to something that really reflects canon. And after this, Judas ordained captains over the people, even captains over thousands and over hundreds and over fifties and over tens. But as for such, as there were building, uh, as for such, they were building houses or had betrothed wives, or were planting vineyards, or were fearful, those he commanded that they should return, every man to his own house, according to the law. Looks like Judas is taking some pages out of Moses and Gideon's stories. And the fasting and the other stuff, those are things of devotion. I think I would have taken it a step further, though, and added something like, God, above all, whatever your judgment, thy will be done. So the camp removed and pitched upon the south side of Emmaus. And Judas said, Arm yourselves and be valiant, men, and see that ye be in readiness against the morning, that ye may fight with these nations that are assembled together against us to destroy us and our sanctuary. For it is better for us to die in battle than to behold the calamities of our people and our sanctuary. Nevertheless, as the will of God is in heaven, so let him do. Ah, there we go. That will be done. See? Yeah. Judas, so much better than Matthias. You know, this is probably a good place to stop for now. End of the chapter. I'm still feeling good. And I got some water here. And there's a nice tree of shade. <laughs>